Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. How does the food that you eat affect your health and productivity? Let's say that during the month of January, you make a resolution to eat really healthy, nutrient-rich foods. You eat lots of fruits and vegetables, healthy grains and proteins. How will you feel? How will you function? Now, maybe in February, you're really busy and you don't have time to mess around in the kitchen cooking healthy dishes. So maybe you skip meals and make up for it by eating potato chips and chocolate bars. On really busy days, you grab burgers and fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How will that affect the way that your body feels? I think intuitively, most of us know that the quality of our diet does affect how we feel and how we function. But when it comes to our gardens, it's so much harder to know if our fruit trees and other plants have a healthy diet. Perhaps that's because our soil doesn't come with a list of ingredients. Some soils are rich in nutrients. Many other soils are not. In this episode, we will explore what nutrients our fruit trees need and when we need to supply them with these nutrients. My guest on the show today will tell us all about that. He's Rob Crassweller, PhD, Tree Fruit Production Extension Specialist from Penn State College of Agricultural Sciences. We'll hear from Rob in just a moment, but first, I would love to hear from you. If you send in a question or a comment during the live show, we'll enter you into into today's contest to win the newly released book, Plant Partners, Science-Based Companion Planting Strategies for the Vegetable Garden by Jessica Walliser. It's valued at $24.95. Just send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com and be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. So write your email right now during the live show to instudio101 at gmail.com. And now let's tune in to today's topic. Rob, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. And in the introduction, I, I compare human food with food for fruit trees and plants, but that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Um, do you think that a lot of people sort of overlook the nutritional needs of fruit trees? That's probably a good question. They, they just kind of assume everything's here in the soil. I've got good grass growing. I got a good orchard. Ah, I don't, probably don't need to do anything. 
So there is ways you can find that out, Bill. And that's what we'll talk about today. So, you know, let's start with the basic nutrients that fruit trees need. So we go to our garden centers and we see that there are um, fertilizers and they have NPK values. So is that all our fruit trees need? Tell me what is NPK and what part of the diet is that for a fruit tree? Okay, that's a good question. NPK, of course, stands for nitrogen, which is the N, P, which is phosphorus, and potassium, which is K. And that's why you see the NPK. Those are what we call macronutrients, among the macronutrients, and that's where most of our fertilizers are from. However, your next question about, there are, well, at least when I went to school, there were 16 essential nutrients uh, that are needed. And uh, one of the ways we learned how to uh, remember them was a little uh, memory trick where we had a saying goes and went C Hopkins Cafe, mighty good, clean, mob comes in. And, uh, uh-huh. Okay, so C. Hopkins Cafe. I love that. So C. Hopkins, like Charlie Hopkins, something like that. So let's take take us through Charlie Hopkins, his cafe, it's mighty clean, whatever. Tell me a little bit about that. How do you associate that with nutrients? Okay, basically what it is, if you write it out uh, with the chemical symbols for those nutrients, that tells you what, what they are. And so the C is for carbon. Uh, we have Hopkins, which is in order hydrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, potassium, nitrogen, and sulfur. And that's how you get to Hopkins. See, it's H-O-P-K-N-S. And then you have CAFE, which is, everybody knows how to spell that, C-A-F-E. But C-A stands for calcium. F-E stands for iron. So those are the other two. Then we get into the next one, mighty good. Well, that's magnesium, M-G. And then uh, we have clean which is represented by CL, which is chlorine symbol. And then we have MOB. MOB means M-O-B, and M-O is molybdenum, which is tough to say now. And then boron, which of course is, is the B on that. And it comes in as kind of a alliteration, I guess you'd say. It's uh, Cu, which is copper, Mn, which is manganese, not magnesium, but manganese. And the last one is zinc, Z-N. So that's a whole lot of nutrients. So if you if I go to my garden center and I grab my, you know, 10, 10, 10, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So um, is that going to fulfill my fruit trees needs? Can I just plop some of that on and just hope for the best and think, okay, I've done it for this year. I've given my fruit trees 10, 10, 10. That's probably the ones you need in the most, but there are a lot of other ones that you do need to, uh, what we call the macronutrients. Uh, NPK are the macronutrients, they're the major nutrients. Other major nutrients, of course, are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And that's- That, uh, that that's I find organic. crazy. Yeah, yeah, that I find crazy because, well, hydrogen and oxygen, is that a nutrient? I guess, is that a nutrient for humans? Well, we have, that's water, component of water, H2O, and we need water, right? I guess so. Then it's a nutrient. I think of nutrients in terms of my vitamins and minerals, and I never think, well, oxygen is nutrient. I guess I would die without my oxygen. So, so okay. So we have a whole mess of different nutrients. They, I guess they all contribute something else to the health of your fruit tree. If you have a malnourished tree, how will you actually know that you have a malnourished tree? Well, there's a couple of ways. 
one, the easiest way, of course, is take what we call plant analysis. And that's where you take collection, some of the leaves and you dry them off and you send them off to a laboratory, which most universities uh, have them. McGill has it, uh, uh, you know, all the other, you can get in Ontario, there's places of uh, firms that do it. And uh, what they'll do is they'll analyze these chemically and they'll give you a percentage of each nutrient or parts per million of each nutrient that's in that plant tissue. And then what we do is we go and compare them, see what they should be. So basically you're saying the tree can't tell us, we have to test, we have to test. Well, if in some cases the tree can tell you if you know what to look for, but usually when you see those symbols or see those symptoms, you're really in trouble. You really messed up and you should, you know, you can correct it and there are symptoms for example, if you're low on nitrogen, well, you're not getting as much shoot growth, or the plants are, are a little bit yellowish and not really lush green. And by the same token, if they're really lush green and you've got a lot of growth, then you've got too much nitrogen. So you can have too much of elements as well as, as not having enough. And so, so there are ways you can tell. So you're saying that if we wait until we see the symptoms and signs on the tree, it's too, it's not too late, but it's pretty late already. It's pretty late, correct. Um, now, in terms of like, if, if I was growing corn or something else, how often would I test the soil and how does that differ for fruit trees? Okay, you just mentioned right when you talked about how often do I test the soil? And for row crops or field crops or vegetables, that's what we have to do. That's the only way we can do it, we test the soil. What we forget about in fruit trees is that there's a structure there always. In other words, the nutrients are reabsorbed back into the tree and they're stored in shoots and the, and the twigs and the branches and the roots. And so then in early spring, they are then mobilized, remobilized out and they become, you know, start to provide the nutrients that are needed for initial growth. And so we normally when we do uh, fruit trees, we always do leaf analysis. Now, uh, you still need to do occasionally do soil analysis just because you need to find out, well, what's, what's our vast reservoir? What do we have down there? And so you use two both hand in hand, but the leaf analysis, the foliar analysis gives us the most accurate picture of what that tree is able to do. And, and, how, and how often would you get that done? Normally we say, we. They are expensive. So normally say try and do uh, one variety on one rootstock once every three years. Mm -hmm. That's usually good enough. Now, commercially, got a lot of different varieties, may not do it that often, but say for a homeowner, probably once every three to five years of work. Okay. We've got an email here from a listener, Paul from Southeastern Pennsylvania. Mm. I love this question. I heard it from somewhere else as well. Paul writes, is hardwood fireplace ash good for a fruit tree? If so, when should I apply it and how much? Well, it's like everything. It's good in moderation. You know, you don't want to put a lot. Firewood ash is primarily composed of uh, potassium. And potassium is what we call a, a, a cation. And that means that it's positively charged. The other cations we have uh, that we're concerned about, though, is magnesium and the calcium. And the problem with the, the trees is 
well, they're both cat, they're all three are cations, and we look at it, well, do I want this one? I really don't have a way to discern, or I'm not going to discriminate and take one. And so if you have too much of one of these types of cations, well, then it's going to be the ones predominantly taken up. And therefore, you get an overbalance or overabundance of potassium. Now, in fruit trees, it's really important that you have enough calcium because calcium is really what makes the fruit quality uh, uh, good. And it actually keeps the fruit uh, composition and keeps it from getting soft and rotting so quick. And so if you have too much potassium and you put all that wood ash on, it's going to have high levels of potassium, but then the calcium is going to be not high enough. It's going to be competing to try to get into the tree, but there's so much potassium, that's what's going to get taken up. And so you have problems with, particularly with apples, with uh, bitter pit and corking, so the distortions of the tissue. So I guess what you're saying is a little sprinkle at some point is okay, but don't go to town with correct, it. Correct, correct. Yeah. Okay. You need a balanced fertility. You need a balanced gut diet, and that's why it kind of goes back to the testing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we have another interesting email here. Uh, this is from Matt. Let's see. I'm not sure where Matt is from. My question, not sure if you're going to talk about pruning too, but how do I know how much to prune an apple tree? I have a few five-year-old gala apple trees that rarely get blossoms. Right now in each winter, they have lots of vertical shoots. I tend to trim those each year when I prune, as well as some other branches a small amount. And I think removing most of the vertical shoots removes what would have been the blossoms a few months later. So Matt wants to know about pruning. So let's have a quick answer for Matt about pruning. Okay, there's two types of pruning cuts, a heading cut, and a thinning cut. A heading cut is you cut a, a, a limb off part way. In other words, if I have my arm out here and I cut the, the limb as an, as an arm and I cut it at the elbow, that's a heading cut. If I come back and cut it off at my shoulder, all the way to the point of origin, that's a thinning cut. Doing a lot of heading cuts, the, just the partial cuts, causes a lot more vegetative growth, makes the tree denser, makes it hard, less light, and you get less flowers. Doing the thinning cut, cutting my back my shoulder, that's going to allow better light penetration in there, and therefore you're going to get more flowers, and that's how you get uh, more fruit production. Simple. Great advice. Great advice. Nice answer. Okay, so we've got another a listener has written in, uh, James. Hello, I'm a new listener to your show from Carmel, Indiana. I just love a lot of the work that Dr. Crassweller has put out and has instructed. Excellent sources of information. Thank you for all the tips and tricks. So that's from James. I appreciate it, James. Mm. Yep. James is in your fan club. (laughs) So, okay. We've got uh, another email here. Hi, Susan. Bob from Pennsylvania here. Small orchard here. 21 trees. Wondering if there's an orchard floor cover crop or cover crop mix your guest can recommend. Mm. Yeah, we, um, I tend to like what we call the fine fescues. These are uh, very, very fine, thin bladed. They're cool season grasses. In other words, they will grow when it's temperature is cool. But then when it gets hot, like the summertime, they stop growing, but they still stay alive. And so the fine fescue, chewing fescues one. Uh, if you go to a garden center, say, I want to use a fine fescue a grass seed, that'll be what you want to use. Okay, so let's say he uses fescue. 
what nutrients is it going to provide? I mean, that, that cover crop is growing in the ground. Is it going to even help feed those fruit trees? Well, actually, the cover crop is going to detract nutrients from the trees. So therefore, uh, what we normally may recommend in, in commercial orchards, what they'll do is they'll, they'll come by with herbicides or something burned down somehow organic. Or there are organic herbicides, you know, burn the grass down from underneath what we call the drip line, which is the edge of the tree into the trunk and into the other edge of the tree. So it's just all underneath, underneath the shade of the grass. And normally in commercial orchards, they will keep that bare ground or, uh, or they mean commercial orchards, they usually don't use mulch, but that may be a thing that uh, uh, you could do in a small orchard like that is, is mulch it, you know, with uh, um, any number of uh, products you could probably use underneath there, but that'd be what I would do. Uh, so you don't get that competition. So again, what, where is the advantage of the cover crop? You're saying that cover crop will steal nutrients from our fruit trees. Well, why are we going to plant it then? Because we, we, we don't normally plant it because, uh, and so what we do is we just leave the grass to go down where the uh, drive rows are, where people, you know, the, the commercial orchards have to drive down to get the harvest, get the pruning, uh, where they have to control insects or diseases. They've got a stable ground. Right. And it's, you don't have to weed there and it provides, you know, it, it's, I guess, good for the soil. Even if it is taking a little bit of nutrients from your fruit tree, so you might have to fertilize it a little differently. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we were talking about how fruit trees' needs change throughout the growing season. So I thought we would go season by season. And I want to start with winter. What is happening to our fruit trees in the winter, and what nutritional needs do they have then? Okay, right now, they're like uh, all bears are trying to hibernate. They're essentially trying to, you know, there's a lot of small microscopic things that are going, the flower buds are still developing. They're actually going through a period of enzymatic changes that they are developing uh, flowers or continue to develop slowly but surely. And, uh, but they're basically resting right now. They're not really not absorbing anything because we normally we have to have temperatures, soil temperatures need to be above 50 degrees Fahrenheit for them to absorb nutrients. So, most of the soils are probably not there, and so they're not getting much absorption. Plus, there's no leaf to pull the, pull the nutrients up. So right now, just like us, kind of sitting back and trying to keep warm. Are they watching Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're probably they're watching. <laughs> they're probably watching their own Netflix right now in the winter. Okay. So in the winter, then the spring comes and things change, or they're going to change. In the winter, do we even consider? fertilizing our fruit trees? We do in a sense that uh, the way fruit trees come out of dormancy is that as temperatures start to warm up, then they start to have more metabolic reaction. And what happens is they start to uh, uh, use the reserves that they put down last fall and have stored in the, in the trunks and the roots and the branches and stems. And they try to get those uh, those off. Uh, so what to do initially early in the spring, that's where most of the growth is coming from, is from those reserves that are buried in the tree. And so we want to fertilize about four to six weeks before bloom, make our fertilizer application, because it's going to take that while, that much time for them to, uh, for those nutrients to move down into the soil 
and get reabsorbed by the tree once the temperatures are soil warm enough. And so then they start to supply with, with uh, the growth that they need once vegetative growth starts. So the first time you're fertilizing during the year is going to be four to six weeks before bloom time. That's your first session. The tree itself is still hibernating, but what you're hoping for is for the, the nutrients to break down and become accessible to the tree, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. So what kind of fertilizers or what kind of nutrients are you would, would a homeowner or somebody else use at that time of year? This time of year, they're probably most looking at things like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, maybe calcium. They may need to adjust the soil pH. Uh, maybe some magnesium if they have magnesium deficiency. But basically what we're looking at is what we call the macronutrients, the ones that are needed to the greatest amount of or supply. And so, so, would be so would you go to your garden center and get one of your, you know, fertilizers with an NPK number or, or would, you, would you mulch your tree with compost? What are the options at that point? Okay, it's got, you can do all those. <laughs> But basically what we're talking about is, you know, if you're gonna use uh, inorganic fertilizer, which is a salt type thing, uh, that's where you go. You probably go get nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. You could need some, as I said, you may need some lime, lime calcium, uh, you can put that on. <coughs> if you're gonna use compost or organic matter uh, type of fertilizer, then that also needs to go on early. And that's because it now needs to be go absorbed down into the soil it needs to be transformed and then it'll be available for the roots to take up into the tree. Okay. We've got an email here. Oh, Matt. I don't know if this is the same Matt. No, it's a different Matt. Uh, another question. Oh, no, it's the same Matt. And he is in South Central Pennsylvania. One of my peach trees, a 12-year-old Alberta dwarf, has a small amount of rot approximately 12 square inches in the trunk near ground level. Can I apply latex paint or some cap captan powder to the rotted area? I keep mulch away from the trunks of my backyard apple and peach trees, but still get a little bit of rot. Okay, so Matt is asking about rot. Mm -hmm. The question is, we don't know exactly what that rot is. And so therefore, what I suggest you do is maybe if you can get a sample or a picture of it, and take it to the local county extension office uh, or email it or something. Since get email, email it and say, what is this? Uh, and, and can you identify it? So we know what exactly we need to treat. Um, again, it could be it could be something simple, it's not necessarily simple, but it could be winter injury. And there's nothing that's kept as I could do anything good. And it may also be, it could be a disease or it could be, uh, which, which will require the captain or it could be a, a lesser peach tree or peach tree borer, which is an insect, so then you have to do something different. So we really need to see what it looks like so we can kind of make a recommendation. And I say he's got, okay, in South Central Pennsylvania, you know, you got Adams County, Franklin County, uh, Chambersburg, those places have, uh, have uh, county extension offices and you can go see them. Perfect. That's great. Okay, we've got an email here from Ken. Um, so Ken writes, Happy New Year to all of you. I'm hoping that all of you will try to stay healthy. We're going to try hard to stay healthy. Yeah. Yes. A simple question for Dr. Crossweller. What's your favorite apple variety to eat and why? Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to know what your favorite, favorite <laughs> apple variety is. 
Real simple answer. Yeah. Whichever apple I'm eating. Whichever one is in your mouth at that That's moment. Right, right. Okay. But but there are there are some, you know, obviously some of them you can look in the grocery store and find some, you know, things like uh, Gala, very good. Uh, Fuji. Uh, if, if I don't know if, if, if they're from Pennsylvania, if you can find any Nittany, like the Nittany Lions. Oh, how These do you are, how do you spell that? Just like you spelled Nittany, N-I-T-T-A-N-Y. Hmm. So that's that's a local Pennsylvania apple. There's a new one come out. Uh, you may see it now. I just see it now in the stores uh, called Wild Wild Twist. It's a very good apple, and it's uh, got Honeycrisp and uh, and Pink Ladies as parents. So it's oh. good apple. But there's yeah, like I say, that yeah, I like Golden Delicious too. I mean, probably Red Delicious in the store, yeah. But uh, certainly there's enough there's enough good at Jazz is a good one out there too. Okay, another email we have here um, from Ronald, who is a master gardener. And Ronald writes, I have a home orchard in Valparaiso, Indiana. Excuse me for mispronouncing that, which I probably did. What about mulching around the trees? I keep mulch away from the trunk. The question is the foliar, the question is the foliar application of calcium on fruit trees. When to do it? Okay, so there's kind of two questions. One is mulch and one is foliar application of calcium. Let's start with mulch. Okay, mulch is good. Uh, again, probably what we see more problems is what you see in the landscapes and people pile mulch up. You know, and we often refer to it in horticulture as volcano cones. And you only need one to three inches of mulch. <clears throat> and as far as putting, keeping up uh, close to the trunk, there's not really a problem um, other than possibility, if you get some mice or uh, voles or something like that, kind of protects them so they can get up close to the trunk and eat, you know, chew on the bark. But uh, normally, if it's if you're only one inch or so, uh, three inches, you usually shouldn't have a problem with mulch around trees. As long as okay. You're using organic mulch or or a, a I don't say organic mulch, but a organic material type of mulch. So you don't and want to use tar paper and stuff like that. What about the calcium spray? Is that okay? Yeah, the calcium relates to uh, problem we had. I mentioned earlier today about bitter pit and corking, and that's because you have calcium deficiency. Um, the easiest way is coming through and, and making calcium sprays starting uh, shortly after bloom and about every ten to fifteen days. An application. Uh, we've used calcium chloride, which I don't know if you guys use it in, in Canada, but that's you know road salt. Mm. You know, to use for getting melting ice. But there are other calcium products you can use. And <laughs> when uh, when is the ideal time for that? So we had been talking about the spring application of mulch for your first application of the year. When would a calcium foliar spray be appropriate? What time of year? There's a lot of research and people are looking at this, and, and there's different and different uh, points of view. It, it depends on uh, really how much growth you're getting and how much problem you've had. If you've not had a problem, usually, like I say, every beginning about uh, what we call petal, not petal fall, but uh, first cover, which is usually somewhere, you know, it's about 10 days, 10 to 20 days after, after full bloom has, has occurred. So you start then and about every 10 to uh, 15 days, make an application up till about a couple of weeks just before harvest and just continuously applying that. 
Okay, we have an email from Carla. Thank you for writing, Carla. Carla writes, hello, love the show from NYC. Just saying hello and thanks for the advice. Okay, good. Yeah, like Orchard up there in the Hudson Valley, where she is, she's in NYC. That's right. Okay, so we talked about winter. Not much is happening with the trees. They are, you know, hibernating just like we are in the winter. Talk about what is happening with our fruit trees in the spring. How is their activity different and how do the nutritional needs change? Okay, as I indicated, you know, what with the initial growth up until about bloom. All that is based on reserves that are in the tree that are being uh, solubilized and moved back into that initial growth. So the initial growth that you first see when it, just as the tissue starts, the flowers start, that is all based on reserves. Once you get into bloom and thereafter, now you're getting all the nutrients that you applied in your late winter, uh, early spring fertilizer. Now those are moving up into the tree. The tree, the soil temperature's up high enough and so the roots are, are taking the nutrients up and they're distributing them to the tree. And depending on what nutrient is and where the biggest amount of growth is, that's where these nutrients will, will be delivered to. So the nutrients are coming up into the tree, but the tree is burning them at the same time, right? Like they are producing flowers, they are producing leaves. Shoots, correct. The, the shoots, shoots are growing, right? It's, uh, it's, it's like a marathon. Yeah, yeah. They're all coming up. <laughs> uh, it's interesting in if you look at the difference between stone fruit and palm fruit. Palm fruit would be apples and pears and quince. I don't know if they're reverse quince, but stone fruit would be cherries, peaches, and so on and so forth. And then, uh, particularly with the stone fruit, the first thing that opens up, tissue that opens up, are the flowers. In palm fruit, apples and, and pears, what happens is actually the shoot starts growing and then the flowers come out. And so there's that little bit of lag where the flowers are set. So really in, in the spring for fruit to set on stone fruit trees, they really need to make sure they had enough reserve from the previous year to support the initial fruit set of those stone fruit or the peaches and cherries and so on and so forth. Whereas apples, you know, they got, they got both the competition for the new shoot growth going on. And then afterwards they have to set flowers. So you have to have that double dose right there. Of, of nutrients. So they they have a lot of needs at this point. I'll tell you what, let's let's take a few minutes and listen to some words from our sponsors, the wonderful sponsors that help to make this show happen every month. And then afterwards, let's come back and go into the nitty-gritty of spring and summer. What kind of feeding, what when, what will we be feeding our fruit trees during the spring and summer and what the needs are? Does that sound good to you? Okay. Sure does. That sounds good. I'll be here. Okay, great. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, and it's brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we'll be back right after this little break. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. 
Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. G'day gardeners, it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell water savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is nstudio101 at gmail.com. 
And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we're talking about when to fertilize fruit trees. Interesting, timing is important. And if you feed your trees correctly, you're more likely to be able to enjoy a quality harvest. My guest on the show today is tree fruit production extension specialist, Rob Crassweller, PhD from Penn State College of Agricultural Sciences. But I'd like to also hear from you, the listeners. If you are listening to the live show, please email us with your questions or with comments or just to say hi, and we'll enter you into today's contest. The prize this month is the newly released book, Plant Partners Science-Based Companion Planting Strategies for the Vegetable Garden by Jessica Walliser, valued at $24.95. Now, Jessica has been on the show before, and she's a fantastic and insightful garden writer. So send your email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com, and be sure to include your first name and where you are writing from. So Rob, in the last part of the show, we were talking about what happens to fruit trees in the different seasons. We talked about the winter, the tree is dormant. Uh, then the spring comes and there's a lot of activity. So in springtime and summertime, what are the different nutritional needs that your fruit tree may have? Are there certain nutrients in particular that they'll need? Yeah, you know, of course, the real critical point, the reason we're growing fruit trees is we want to have fruit to set, right? And therefore, you know, the, the flower setting, that's quite an uh, involved metabolic process. And so there are definite nutrients that are needed during that time. Nitrogen is one, you know, have to be able to grow. Initially, fruit set and growth is primarily by cell division. So all the cells are dividing. Later in the growing season, it's by cell expansion. And so if you have a lot of cells set and, and divide early right after bloom, then you have more cells that can expand later on. And so your fruit size is larger. Now we're getting to a whole bunch of reasons how to get that, but one of the things is nutrition. You need to have good nitrogen levels. The other thing that is important, really critical uh, during uh, pollination is the boron levels. And so we need to have good levels of boron and a lot of commercial growers will actually make applications of uh, a boron fertilizer foliar application either in the fall previous or just shortly after after flowering and try to get that those uh, flowers to set actually do before flowering so that they you know the pollen tube will grow down and set and cause seed formation and will set the fruit so that's the early part is nitrogen and, and then uh, uh, the boron as well so okay so practically speaking if i'm a backyard grower I have done my first application in the early, the late winter to prepare for the spring. How on earth do I add more nitrogen and boron to my trees starting from the spring? What do I add? Do I go to the garden center and say, hey, I'd like some nitrogen and boron for my trees, please. <laughs> yeah. Some people, occasionally some growers will throw on a, a foliar spray of nitrogen, but most of the time you've, you've got enough that you did, if you did right in the spring, okay? Now the boron, uh, this is gonna sign from standpoint of homeowners, this is gonna sign uh, crazy, but uh, a tablespoon or two per gallon 
of 20 mule team borax. Remember the old uh, uh, washing powder and the old mule train uh, uh, the product? That, that'll give you your boron. Put that and spray that on your trees. So you're mixing it with water, borax, borax. Borax soap, yeah, soap. But And I think it's available now at health food shops. I don't know, is it? Where would you get borax? Borax soap, there should be, that used to be, well, again, south of the Canadian border, that was a uh, uh, product that you could go in grocery stores. It was, used to be an old uh, uh, soap, soap, laundry soap product. I'm sure Perfect. some of the gardens have it. Um, Ronald Reagan advertised for it. That's how old it is. So you know what? On the uh, we will put a link for it on the uh, promo for this show on the little article that links to this show because people say, oh, "Where do I get that?" So we'll find a link for that. Okay. Great. So we've supplied. And how much do would I mix in with water? And exactly when do I spray it? Uh, obviously, be, mm -hmm. you could do it during full bloom, uh, one to two tablespoons of. of uh, the 20 mule team Boraxo uh, in a gallon of water and spray it on during bloom. And and would, and would that affect the bees and stuff if bees are buzzing around? Would they? Would we want to avoid any uh, pollinators while we're spraying? Yeah, there's, it's, it's probably good to always avoid you know spraying when there's pollinators. You don't you know, but Boraxo shouldn't. It's just soap. And so it's just soap yeah. and people can do it early in the morning while it's still cool, perhaps, or where there's the or at night where the pollinators are not available. Wow, that's a great little tip. Oh my goodness. Okay, um, so that is spring. Uh, we've got a couple of emails here, so let's read them. Uh, this is from Rachel. Hi, I will be a very first time apple tree planter slash grower. Are there any apple tree varieties that I should start with? Any I should stay away from? I live in Welland, Ontario. I think that my zone is 6B, but I'm not positive. Will my zone affect my purchase? <laughs> I'm going to hand this over to you. But before I do, I want to say to Rachel, Rachel, if you go to orchardpeople.com slash workshops, I have an online workshop called Certificate in Fruit Tree Care, which will teach you the all the different things you need to know before planting your fruit trees, including how to pick the perfect tree for your zone, for pollination purposes. It's a wonderful and very thorough course. You'll know everything you need to know to take care of your trees there. So orchardpeople.com slash workshops. But now back to Rob. The answer is, is there an easy type uh, apple tree variety to start with that you would recommend? What I would recommend if you're again backyard grower, I or homeowner, I would recommend you go with some of these scab or disease resistant varieties. Um, those require less uh, control. Apple scab is the primary disease, and in Ontario, I know it's a primary disease as well as it is in Pennsylvania. But that that's really what you want. You know, some of these some of the varieties like uh, Golden Delicious or Red Delicious, those are have get. Uh, apple scab and cause, that causes defoliation and impacts the quality of the fruit and puts little basically scab lesions on the fruit. And so these ones that are, are uh, scab resistant, they've been developed Ontario, in Canada, they've been developed US, overseas. Uh, there's a lot of them available. Uh, I get think of uh, Freedom is one, that's an older variety. Um, Nova Spy is another one. That, that probably wouldn't be a problem at all up, up in Canada as far as cold hardiness. Um, da, 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 da. 
Gee, hit me. I can't think of it. Novamac. And may I proudly say that Nova Spy and Novamac, as far as I know, are from Canada. They are. Nova Scotia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are proud to have to say mm-hmm. those are our trees. Um, crimson gold, or crimson, uh, crimson crisp is a new one that is a very good. It's a mid-September here in middle Pennsylvania. And I believe they're growing them up in the orchards in Canada and Ontario province as well. Uh, crimson crisp, uh, there's a crimson gold. There's a whole slew of different ones out there. Liberty is another one that came and developed in New York. And that's uh, a really good cold hardy variety as well. So there are a number and I'm sure you've got them listed on your in your book as well. Yes, definitely. Well, definitely in my course, I will take you through everything you need to know to make sure the climate zone is correct. It's like a puzzle to get just the right tree that will thrive in your unique conditions. So certificate in fruit tree care, orchardpeople.com. Hopefully that will help. Okay, we've got uh, an email here from Ronald from Woodstock, Maryland. Um he says, I don't want to over fertilize my trees. What should the NPK, NPK values be for fruit trees? And I appreciate that question because I get quite often that no matter what the fruit tree is experiencing, people just dump on a 10, 10, 10, an NPK of 10, 10, 10. Um, should people just do that? Or again, are we going back to the issue of, of testing the, the tissue testing, the leaves? Yeah, there, there's, there's a number of things as far as tissue testing, of course, that's the thing. But there, there's a couple of rule of thumbs you might be able to use. Uh, uh, and, and it really depends on the age of the tree. Uh, normally, what we would say is you apply for apples now, you apply 0.02 actual pounds of nitrogen for year age tree. And so what you would do is if you have a pound of 10, 10, 10, uh, if you put a pound of that on, you find 0.10 pounds of nitrogen. So that's way too much. So what you have to do is you have to put 200, you have to put two tenths of a pound to get 0.02 pounds or 0.02 pounds per year age tree from a new tree. So oh, an older be- tree needs more. And um, we're talking about nitrogen specifically, an older tree needs more. Yeah, and as tree grows older, uh, then then as the tree gets older, you, then you start looking well. You know, what's my soil doing? How how my climate to it? And so, you know, we're looking for somewhere in, in apples, twelve to eighteen inches of shoot growth on an annual basis. On stone fruit peaches, we're looking say uh, eighteen to twenty four inches because it depends on where the flowers are. So, pears are somewhat less than apples. Uh, cherries are in between uh, uh, peaches. And, and say apples. So, so we're somewhere in the neighborhoods, we start as low as 12 and maybe up to 24 inches of shoot growth, depending on what type of fruit crop you're growing. And that's kind of a way you can look at it that way. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, so that's interesting because what would a fruit tree look like if it was over fertilized? How would it react? It would look really lush and Less than green and long shoot growth, real dense foliage. And that's what you don't want to see. You want to see them kind of struggle a little bit. And, you know, yeah, I would like to have more, but because otherwise, what's happening, all that nitrogen is just going to all the shoot growth. Now, and you don't get any fruit. That's right. That's right. You, don't get you get lots of green. It feels like tropically beautiful, and there's no fruit. 
too. That's right, yeah. And if you over fertilize, it's yeah, it's not good. So cool. thank you for the question. And um, he adds also what pH range is best. Okay, the normal range we like to say is is somewhere between six to six to six point five. If you got in certain areas uh, on the west coast, maybe a little bit higher, you know, more more six to seven. Uh, generally speaking, in our uh, soils, we're normally looking six to six and a half, and that's pretty much most throughout the you know the lower forty-eight is, is what we're looking for. So somewhere around there. Okay. So another email we have here. Um, now let's see who is this from, Sherry is writing. Hi, I live in Syracuse, New York. I wanted to start growing some fruit trees on my two acres of land here. What is an easier tree to grow? Well, we've heard that question already. Oh, apple or pear? Are they the same? So Sherry's asking, are apples easier than pears? Are pears easier than apples? What would you do with the two acres of land that she has? Pears take a little longer to come into production and start getting mature enough to produce fruit. Uh, pears are also very susceptible, which certain apple varieties are too, to a disease called fire blight, which is the bacterial disease. And usually the worst time it can infect it is during blossom. So pears are a little bit more uh, problematic that way. Uh, there, there are again, some new pear varieties that seem to be doing a little bit better uh, now, but the traditional ones that everybody knows, Bartlett, Bosk, Andrew, those are, are, are problematic. So look at some of the new ones or some of the new fire blight resistant pears, look into that as a possibility, but they will take longer to come into production. Tell me about the, about the fall. Should we be feeding our fruit trees in the fall? Okay, we've gone through the season. Uh, you know, we're, we're harvesting the fruit and all of a sudden we look, look up, well, there's a little, you know, bit of uh, what we call corking or bitter pit on our fruit or it doesn't look right. Uh, a lot of time what commercial growers will do will be they will apply some of the micronutrients. And those micronutrients are such that they only require very small amounts. And those include things like boron, it includes uh, manganese, it includes zinc, it includes iron. Uh, so a lot of times what commercial growers will do will be in the fall after the fruit is off, but before the leaves drop and while it's still green, they'll come in with a, a micronutrient spray. And again, you know, maybe boron, and we talked about the, the uh, uh, 20 mule team borax, if that's still available in the grocery store, you know, one to two tablespoons of that. Same thing, you can get an iron, iron chelate material at your garden center, apply that. Uh, zinc sulfate. We're ready to roll with the contest. Let's do it, Gary. Okay. So Gary in the studio is going to go through all the people who sent in emails today, and we are going to choose our prize winner. Okay, so Rob, I'm going to shake up the names that we have in a bucket, and if you could please tell me when to stop, and then I'll pull one out. Is that fair? Sounds good to me. Okay, stand by. Here we go. Stop. All right, and let's see who is the winner. It's Peter G. from Kansas. Yay, so thank Peter. you, Peter. Congratulations. You are the winner. Fantastic. Okay, we've got our winner for today. And I want to thank you so much, for Rob, for coming on the show today. I have learned a lot, and I think that the listeners really appreciated being able to ask their questions. Yes. 
always enjoy questions. Questions are the best. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Uh, before we wrap up the show, I want to say thank you so much to those of you who have rated and reviewed this show on your local podcatcher. Your reviews mean the world to me. I so appreciate it. Recently, I had two really lovely new reviews. One was from the hopeful urban urban farmer in California who writes, I discovered this podcast and the website searching for gardening podcasts. I have a few fruit trees in my yard in California. I've listened to many of these podcasts and I love them. I often listen to them on my daily walks. I also found some great material on Susan's website and hope to take one or more of her courses in the near future. I'm a subscriber to the podcast and look forward to new and useful material in the future. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much for the hope to the hopeful urban farmer in California. And here's another uh, review from Ak Sabra, who writes, I'm always learning something new from these podcasts. Thank you for the great information. It helps me to take get better care of my trees and inspires me to help others as well. So I so appreciate that. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning into this show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to listen to the podcast version or watch the video after I edit it, just go to orchardpeople.com podcast. So orchardpeople.com slash podcast, and you'll get lots more information. We'll put links up. I'm Susan Poisner from the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you next month. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.